Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 161. Coming to you from Audio Studio A today, which is a little bit different than our normal location, but makes no difference around our table today. We've got all of the brain trust from MotorWeek, and starting with our writer-producer, Brian Robinson. Glad to be here, John. Our online content coordinator, gosh, it's a long title, Greg Carlos. Just uh, OCC. How about that? OCC. (laughs) Sounds like an affliction. (laughs) Over the Edge reporter, Zach Mescal. Happy to be here. And our writer... Garrick Zykin. Thank you for having me. We're, it's always we're a delighted that you joined us today. All right. We are streaming live on Facebook, so drop us a comment or ask us a question. Our producer, Joe Ligo, is standing over in the corner trying to be invisible, but he will get the questions to us if they come in. We also have a lightning round. We have viewer questions. We have rant and raves. We have real mental health needed for the uh, the host here. <laughs> We're going to start with a couple of, uh, actually, one, two, three cars that we have recently tested. And then Garrick's going to have a chance to weigh in on the first-time experience that he had uh, doing some uh, high-performance driver's training. Uh, we knew when we hired Garrick that he liked to drive fast. Now he can actually turn the wheel. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, first, the first vehicle, 2017 Maserati Levante. Uh, I must admit, I was on vacation when this was here. I really wanted to get in it. I can only say that having seen it at auto shows, uh, it is certainly aggressive looking. So what was it like? VR uh, squared? I didn't really get to spend a whole lot of time with it. But, you did? Uh, well, who drove it? The first thing... Yeah, Greg I drove it a little bit. Time. First thing, uh, I was just... I wasn't prepared me for how big it was. It uh, is huge. I know uh, the Jag F uh, pace, F-pace. Uh, when we saw that, I was surprised at how small that was. So it was more of a compact. But, uh, yeah, this thing is big. I mean, it's hard for me to believe it comes off the Ghibli chassis. I don't remember the Ghibli being that big. This thing, is. it looks like a, a Touareg, yeah. if not bigger. It's substantial for sure. Um, sounds good, though. It's got that classic Maserati sound, raspy. It's uh, that same three-liter uh, twin-turbo. Really a lot of power. Uh, it's fun to hit the gas, and it actually handles pretty well, too. I um, had a chance to drive it uh, fairly extensively. Uh, responds well. Um, the seats for me were a little bit hard. Actually, they were really hard. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something that would uh, soften up after a while, but I just felt like I was sitting on top of the seats rather than in them. It's the old Mercedes syndrome. That's the way Mercedes used to do seats, that after 100,000 miles, they'd be fully broken in. Mm-hmm. Garrett, do you have a chance to get in it? I did. I, I liked the way the engine sounded. Um, it's very solid and substantial, and the size, again, um, was surprising. One of the, the small details that, that I liked was that um, on the dash, naturally in other cars we have for the temperature controls, they're out a little bit so you can feel them. But on this one, the fan speed button was out a little bit. It was like a toggle. So mm. you didn't have to look for it. Oh, that's good. So I found that very helpful. My I kept gosh, somebody's right. actually doing some proper ergonomics right. inside a vehicle again. Right, yeah, exactly. that's good, man. So um, that was just something that, that I noticed. Um, but it was it was interesting to drive. And, and we've discussed on this program before, 
I'm not necessarily in the SUV or CUV market, but I did enjoy driving. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. How no, about you, Zach? I looked at it. It looked good. <laughs> <laughs> Who Ben Ben took it to the track? I can't ben remember Davis. if it was me or him. Honestly, right now we've been taking so many cars <laughs> on the track right now. Um, no, it was me. I did. This is one of the problems you have when you test 150 cars a year. Yeah, it's a good but, problem to have. Well, but it, it is tough. I, I looked at all of the track results, and what came through loud and clear from you and Ben, and I guess uh, whoever else was at the track, was how well it ham- handled despite its size. That there was some weight shift, but Basically, you just scooted through all the tests pretty quickly. Yeah, you have all the sports settings and everything in there, so that definitely helps because it can be, even I think in its most compliant setting, it's still a little bit more rigid than most people are probably going to expect. I, I think I going in, I sort of expected maybe it would be softer, but it's just the opposite. No, yeah, it's, it is pretty taut, and it can get even more uh, extreme, and that's what I think. And now that I'm remembering, it was Ben on the track, mm-hmm. and he had said the same exact thing. So, um, And our... our uh, our test track where we uh, go, our uh, slalom courses are rather, sh- the gates are short. They're only about 75 feet apart instead of the typical 100. I, I think mean. it's worth pointing out, yeah. uh, despite the size of it, not a lot of room inside. I mean, it sits really high. And as far as practicality, uh, it wasn't a lot of room there inside. There wasn't a great deal of cargo room in the back. Mostly and I think the rear seat, yeah. as I remember when I got in the one at the auto show, the, you, my le- my knees were up against the back of the seat. Very sp- European sports sedan like on the inside as far as amount of room. So, But still, um, probably will become their best seller very quickly, I would imagine. Yeah, every other luxury brand that makes an SUV, that's the case. So, Yeah, I've already seen one out on the roads, and I didn't think I would see one for quite some time. So. Well, they're not badly priced. I mean, they're within mm-hmm. the realm of a, a, a Q7 or, or a, the Mercedes or whoever else uh, yeah. in that class. So I thought they were well-priced. Much like the Ghibli, they you know made it pretty competitive as far yeah. as pricing. You remember curb weight at all? We had a quick question about that. Is that uh, a lot? It a was lot. over. It was over. It was over, <laughs> over five thousand. I think pounds. it was right around. Yeah, 5, yeah about five thousand pounds. Okay, well, interesting vehicle. Um, for what it's worth, I was in Italy when it was here, so you know, you you never see anything that big on a. Ironic, you were in yeah. Italy when the when the when Levante the Levante was, was here. here. Very much another uh, total different animal, the 2017 Honda Civic Si. Uh, Zach, you had the most experience with it. Long awaited, the first Si that didn't that has a turbo engine in it. Okay, your impressions. So Honda took us out to the Mojave Desert, California, at their their proving ground. ground. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And, you know, they kept reminding us, hey, you know, we're on the proving ground right now. It's not a racetrack. And kind of also helped you keep in mind, you know, what the car is. Um, So it's based on the 10th generation Civic, but it's got the new engine. It's the 1.5 liter. It's a turbo. It's the same engine that's from the EXT, but it comes with a CRV turbo, lower compression, and higher boost. Um, so, you know, it's got a limited slip differential, adaptive dampers, um, a lot of fun out there to drive. Uh, of course, you know, the SIs, they all only come in a stick shift and Honda does the manuals, um, just about the best out there. So it's always fun to hop in those things and just take it, uh, take it for a rip out. Um, the only thing that some people were complaining about online is that it's the same amount of horsepower 
as it was uh, for the naturally aspirated 2.4. So it, it may have gained a one horsepower, but it uh, got 18 pound-feet of torque, which, you know, it's still fun. It's peppy enough. Even though it doesn't have VTEC, it's very linear. Um, and Were you disappointed, though, it was a turbo? No, it's a good car, you know, and it, it works well with the suspension. And let's remember that turbo means possibilities, and that's the good thing now. It is a car meant to get good fuel economy. The reason that they did not go with the 2-liter um, that's in the Type R is because, A, price, and, B, they wanted reliability out of the SI. So that's the reason that they wound up going with the EXT engine. Um, it is a very aggressive-looking car. I mean, Civics, this generation Civic is quite aggressive overall, but I thought they, they did a good job of at least making it look like it, it can go. It looks sporty. It looks like it can go. I mean, you guys have seen the picture. What do you guys think? It looks cool. Um, the idea of a turbo sounds cool until you see that it's a 1.5 liter turbo, and then, you know, I'm not sure how excited I get about that. I'll have to wait to drive it. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Where, what would you compare to, like, a WRX, but not an S, you know, certainly not an, not an SDI. SDI but uh, more not like quite even up to WRX as far as the power goes, the power delivery. Uh, it's almost there, but I think a tune and exhaust is going to be pretty necessary for this car, for the person that is buying the SI to have that, that more sporty feeling. It, it might be a necessity. But let's remember here, on the Fiat 500L, there are tuners that are doing a stage one tune, and they're getting something around, you know, 80 horsepower more more out of these cars. What, what did they tell you, though? Who was the market for this car? Because after all, the SI was is, is iconic. It is. But... Most everybody that remembers the old SIs are, frankly, a lot older than you are. Is this aimed at a lower clientele or what? It is aimed at a younger, it is still a younger, younger crowd. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, that's probably who's going to be buying it. You know, maybe the kids that have maybe never owned a manual. Never owned and, and now they want three pedals. And, you know, it's uh, kind of comparing it to, let's say, the, the 86 or, uh, you know, an FRS, BRZ, or what have you. You know, they're somewhat close in horsepower, are they not? And that's basically a dedicated sports car. So, and not too many cars out there that made these days, A, with a manual at all, and B, exclusively with a manual. I mean, that's, right. that's yeah. almost unheard that's of. That's strictly manual. Greg, any comment on it? I mean, you've you've been around them at the auto shows. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to wonder if maybe they... I assume they purposely want to still separate it from the Type R, knowing how much hype that they've had behind the Type R. They want to make sure that there is definitely a difference between SI and Type R. There's two different type of buyers there, I think. There's a body style. And for, yeah, for yeah, well, yeah, huge, huge. And huge um, I also think that they just had to make... However you feel about the SI having a turbo, I think Honda had to make that decision because the modern car right now is has a small displacement turbo, and I think that's what people who are looking at cars now who buy something, if they see turbo, if they don't know anything about cars, they assume that's power. That is right. That's power. And that's and what efficiency. cars. It's a fit, right. Right. And efficiency. efficiency. And that's what cars have now. And I think even maybe if it was just a marketing move, just having that 1.5 liter turbo to be able to sell more cars, because that is what a modern car is right now is a turbocharged engine. I don't think people would be as upset, though, or not a lot of people just from the you know the general consensus that I've gotten through the forums and a lot of guys are really looking forward to the SI if it was a 2 liter turbo it would be completely different mm -hmm. you know but or, you said they really didn't feel 
did it feel much different than the old uh, non-naturally aspirated? It did feel five? different. Yes. It did feel different. As far as power It felt like goes. basically you didn't have as much torque on, on the get-go or more or what? It it did not feel quite as torquey. And, of course, now we're missing VTEC. So, you know, you're Which always think, waiting for that sensation. You can't like, yell yeah. VTEC anymore. Yeah. 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 I, I wanted to hit like 6,800 RPMs or whatever it is and, and really just kind of feel my head go back a little more. I mean, that, that was part of the excitement about the SI. That that was, you know, within its soul, man. Every time you got in there, you, so, you very much look forward to that. And uh, it just wasn't there that time. Hmm. But car handles great. I will say that. Big lack of understeer. You know, the suspension is fantastic. Uh, it gets 38 miles per gallon on the highway. So lots of good things about it for sure. Moving on to uh, another horse of a different color, 2017 Chevrolet Colorado ZR2, the most aggressive off-road package that they uh, oper- uh, give provide so far on the Colorado. Uh, two powertrains, uh, the 3.6-liter uh, V6 gas engine, but it's also available with the 2.8-liter uh, I4 uh, Duramax diesel. Uh, okay, I I like the Colorado. I think Right at the moment, among small pickup trucks, it's my personal favorite. I'm not sure. I think I'm a not. There may other people probably like the Tacoma more. Is what I was getting at. But uh, I like the truck and I like the gas engine, and I was very impressed with how this uh, four-cylinder turbo diesel pulled. Other comments? I definitely agree with you on the Duramax for sure. Uh, I prefer it over the V6. Absolutely. And uh, I think that the truck overall is just, it's very well done. Uh, Chevy actually took us out to Colorado to I test out. I guess you and I are the only two that actually drove it. The new Colorado. It. Yeah. So. Now, I, the one I drove was a very early model. It was about a year ago. And I, I will say I thought they had done a very good job with the engine. I thought the transmission was a little uh, late in picking up on. It was. On uh, shifts. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what I experienced. They actually had us out on this driver's training, like, trophy track. So, you know, we were doing not necessarily high-speed stuff, but they had us doing jumps, and, you know, they were letting me turn off trash control and stability control and kick it out on turns. And my biggest complaint was that when I was coming into, like, a real big sweeper, I'd have to come in real hot because if I lost any of my momentum and I tried to use the power to get me back sideways, it just it wasn't there quite as much, and the transmission would get a little bit confused. Yeah. Yep. But on the other hand, I guess that's not exactly what this would be used for in that situation. Did did you do any off-roading in it? We did. We did some rock crawling. We did some trail riding. It's got um, electronically locking front and rear dif- differentials. So, you know, that's cool. It's got 30. It comes stock with 31-inch tires, you know, a little bit of a lift kit. It's got a lot of ground clearance. It's got the uh, skid plates underneath. The front bumpers are cut out so you can get a better approach angle when you're coming up to those rocks. And it did everything that we put in front of it. You know, I mean, it just, it did it. It, so, it did what we were hoping it's it It's like would. a poor man's Raptor. Basically. Which I applaud them for putting it on the smaller truck. Everyone for years has been saying, you know, why don't you have a Silverado Raptor competitor? But it, it makes more sense to have it on a smaller, uh, a more nimble truck. I agree. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Raptor's huge, man. Who's going to take that thing down any trails? If you've ever gone four-wheeling and taking your Jeep down a trail, you're not going to take a Raptor through most of them, especially a brand-new truck. These things are so expensive now. I mean, yeah, this thing can take you across the stream if you got to run to work and it's, you know, flooding or whatever. Um, Again, I've only seen this trim package at the auto show. The diesel I drove was a um, 
not the not the uh, this package. It was not a ZR2. Does this truck look in person en- brutish enough to to basically warrant what Brian was just saying? I am happy with the look of this truck. <laughs> I don't think it's too overbearing, and it doesn't look like a bro truck to me. Mm. The Raptor does, <laughs> and you know when we go to the racetrack on the weekend, you know pull our dirt bikes out of the back. Some dude pulls up in a Raptor. You're you're already like, all right, you know. I, <laughs> Should I go home now? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm already. Well, anyway, I mean, uh, you know, the outside of it, I think it's it's just enough to kind of say, hey, this thing is fully capable. But it, but it's also not coming down the road, you know, screaming, you know, stuff. And unless you throw monster, you know, logos all over it or whatever. But um, the inside was a slight disappointment. I thought maybe that they would do just a little bit more, maybe throw ZR2 up somewhere else or give me something else, even if it's slightly gimmicky. Were the seats? The seats, all they did was put ZR2 so in the, they're not in any the headrest. Different. No sports seats, particular. I, oh, I can't Nothing remember special. if they are different seats overall or not. I don't think they are. I think they're pretty much the same seats. Um, but I did want to mention the spool valve suspension. You know, that's one of the biggest things that they were trying to push about this truck. It's the the same suspension from the um, Camaro Z28. And, you know, it's like F1 inspired. So at first I'm thinking, all right, this is real gimmicky. Like they're pushing it hard. And we got there and we were jumping the thing doing 40 miles an hour. And when you land, you can fully control the truck. If you've mm. ever gotten airborne in a truck, uh, you know how scary, not the takeoff is, but the landy, the landy. Andy can be and I just went up man and he was like just go for it you know 35 40 and it just goes up and it just lands nice and flat um and then on the road also the suspension is close to phenomenal I I love the suspension in this truck it's very 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 good that's high praise Garrick yes all right you were among uh, a group from our staff that went for one of our uh, periodic driver training courses, which we did this one up at Summit Point, Point Motorsports Park up in West Virginia, where we do quite a bit of our uh, road testing of the more high-performance vehicles. Now, I, I should put this in context, everyone. Garrick is not one of our normal performance drivers on test, but he writes about them. And we like everyone on the show to have uh, – well above average driving skills. So this was your first <laughs> real performance driving Correct. on a racetrack. Why don't you tell Correct. us about the experience and, you know, just what you got out of it? Well, it, it was a great experience because our, our day driving, performance driving is not just about driving fast. It's about stopping and uh, handling, you know, various road conditions. And that's what our training involved. Um, we had uh, braking instructions. We were on the skid plate. Uh, so it was a variety of, of, of training. And I like the way that, that they trained because even if you were a newbie, as, as I am, you could keep up with, with the way that they were, they were training. I'm sure it was old hat for, for the rest of the group. But um, I, I thought they, they instructed uh, very well. And, you know, your first time out, you could get a lot out of it. You, you, you really could. And not even realize going in how much you didn't know. So, um, so it was good. I, I, I liked it. Um, there's a difference between driving fast and, and, and driving on a track. I, I realized that. But I think at the end of e- even one day um, that you have more confidence when, when you're in, in a car. Um, now, I should point out this is not – he was not – 
in a race driving school. It was basically performance driving, car control. And Brian, you and Greg were on the trip also. So tell me, how big were Garrett's eyeballs when he came up? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think he was, he was uh, pretty low-key about it all. Yeah. He was a little overwhelmed at first. Yeah, I think it can be pretty humbling for a sure, lot of people. Sure, even, sensory overload, man. Especially, so especially much when you get – even if, like, Brian and I, we've driven – plenty on the track but it's always good to go back and actually learn from somebody who does this for a living you know i definitely picked up a few things there was That's important there's a lot of things that garrick was doing that i'm sure where he learned a lot more than i was but there's always something that even if you're not learning it you can go back and practice it you can practice going back and looking ahead and things like that and finding the uh, limits of your of your tires when you're braking and things like that so i really give a lot of credit to uh, chris and the gang over there they were very very good teachers they're great at um reinforcing what you do well and then they tell you what you do wrong but they're not beating you over the head and making you feel because i've been with other instructors where they don't necessarily teach you very well they want to take the wheel from you or they don't know how to um translate what they know into words so like it makes you feel like you're a bad driver but these guys were very good and um yeah i can't say enough about um how good they were at their yeah, jobs. It's good to get, you know, a little instruction here and there. To, it's you, all about safety. You develop little bad habits that you don't realize sure. that you're doing, and they can point that stuff out to you. And uh, You can just, learn a lot just from me sitting in the back seat, like, watching you, and I'm sure you likewise with me. Like, you can see where your braking points are. Like, he would one thing for me that I got out was he noticed every little spot that if I took my eye off of where it was supposed to be, he saw, like, immediately. Yeah. Most people don't, <clears throat> excuse me, most people don't realize how just looking ahead as far as you can into a corner or whatever, how important that is. It's one of the main things you have to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. It slows everything down the farther you, yeah. farther you can look ahead. And I think that, that for me, that, that was the, like the, the golden moment when he said that. <clears throat> it became magic once I started doing it, <clears throat> particularly on the skid plate. It's like it works. It just works. Okay, so, go ahead. Skid pad. Skid pad. Skid pad. Now, sorry. now sorry. we know sorry. you're a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, um, thanks, guys. Anyway, it was good. Summit Point Motorsports Park, I guess, a track that we have had the privilege of running on for almost the entire time Motor Week's been on the air. So uh, uh, it's, a it's a special place in our it's hearts. It's a very special place. I have indeed. fun every time I and go. And they're very good to us. Okay, moving on to our lightning round. Two minutes to debate uh, a trending automotive topic. Time's up. Uh, I guess we're going to... I don't have a bell, but we I can have a bell, make a nice <laughs> knock on I the I can table. download an air okay. horn app real quick. Toyota, Uber, Airbus, and other companies are supposedly developing different ideas for flying cars. It was all the rage at the Geneva Motor Show this year. Is this just a headline-grabbing fad for auto shows, or will flying cars actually become a real thing in our lifetimes? You know, a few years ago, I would have said, you know, here we go again. We've been talking about flying cars since before I was born. What do you think, though, of this latest rash of them? I think, well, I wasn't in Geneva, so I don't know what all was there. But I think some type of personal use jet is certainly uh, in our near future. I think a lot of the car makers, Honda and Nissan, are working with people on those. Not necessarily making flying cars, but making small personal jets, obtainable and easy to drive for everyone. I know Nissan had whatever, I can't remember the uh, plane maker they were working with, but it basically had a, a Maxima interior in it. Mm -hmm. All the controls are the same. You have a steering wheel, pedals, translating the, you know, all the planes are flown with electronics anyway, translating all that into car controls. 
So just about anybody can do it. There were a couple of uh, a couple of concepts that stood out. I think the Uber model is they're looking for actually someone to build some kind of an aircraft vertical takeoff and landing that they can go from you know, pad to pad around town and use for commuting. Um, the Airbus concept was a little different. It was actually a pod that had wheels at one point, but can then be attached to vertical takeoff fans. And everybody thought that was a joke. But in the last couple of months, they've been sort of ramping up some of their R&D. I don't I don't I haven't heard anybody say, hey, wait a minute. You know, you're flying vehicles over a crowded city area, and who's going to be at the controls? Yeah, it's the, an F.A. nightmare. The gist of this is they're all going to be drones, probably, you know, remotely piloted. Do you think there's—I mean, sure, there's a market for it for the ultra-rich, but do you think really this is a solution to traffic won't it, it Well, it'll—for it to work the way that people want it to work, won't it only, always have to be, like, a niche market? I think Because so. then you—because then once—let's say everybody gets a flying car, then you have the same then problem the you have here. Then you have, you have expressways <laughs> yeah. in the air. Yeah, exactly. Then you just have the same problems. It's just up in the air, and then they'll be like, hmm, maybe yeah, I'll like, go vintage like and go back one, on the ground. I don't want my neighbors next to me to have <laughs> Exactly. <one. laughs> Well, that's like driving on the road. You're going to get stuck behind them in the crowd. At what point is it like not a flying car anymore? It's just that's my mode of transportation. So you're right. Okay, two minutes are up. We're done. Uh, We've got a a viewer question. Uh, Dave, uh, by email, has three questions for us about electric cars. Uh, How many emissions come from the coal-fired power plant that charges electric vehicles. Uh, I think most of Dave's questions are from a true skeptic of uh, electric vehicles and whether or not they, they're really as practical as people think. Um, any comments? We could do a whole podcast on this issue and all three of his questions. But Well, what do you think is the basic... I mean, you've heard the argument ever since the first pure EVs came out, even long before this current generation, that all you're doing is transferring the pollution from one place to another. Is there validity in that? I think they're a little more efficient and overall, but uh, we're still in a stepping stone phase. We're getting to a point where there's going to be less coal-fired power plants and more EVs. So, uh, you know, is it the perfect solution right now? I don't know, but uh, we're getting there. Uh, Joe Ligo, our our Facebook producer, has come up with some statistics. He says he found some numbers from 2010. It said 45% of the U.S. electricity comes from coal. But nowadays, in about 2016, it's uh, only about 30%. And uh, natural gas is ramping up while coal is going down. So that makes... That takes some of the pollution out of the atmosphere. Uh, There's also uh, the, the whole concept of that from uh, well-to-wheel analysis that's been done by um, the Argonne National Laboratory. They were looking at plug-in hybrids charging from coal-powered plants and greenhouse emissions, and uh, they said it was basically similar to that of a a car getting a good car that gets a combined fuel economy of about 28 miles per gallon. more than 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 a regular hybrid, but less than uh, some the average gasoline car. So there's you can make a case for it. What I've always heard the argument was was that it is if the you're looking at who's polluting, and you you're not just transferring the pollution from a power plant to a car. That if you've got a power plant, let's say you've got 
a couple of hundred power plants. You can monitor those. You can make sure their pollutions are under control. On the other hand, if you've got millions of unregulated cars spewing out exhaust that are, you know, they that's more difficult to control. So if you make the cars electric, they're drawing the power from a, from a, a finite number of power plants. You can control pollution better. That's what I've always heard. Any other comments? John Davis, are you saying electric cars are our future? My personal opinion is electrification is our future unless all the fuel economy rules are relaxed. I think you're going to see, you know, we already see it, helper motors, uh, plug-in hybrids, not necessarily pure electric, uh, but we're, we're getting ready to embark on electric turbochargers and superchargers. Uh, I think some kind of electrification on cars is here. Hybrids. Hybrids of one form or another. I mean, you know, we've recently had in a couple of European hybrids, which were basically high-performance vehicles with big engines, but they've got a little electric assist to get them in and out of the downtown areas on pure electric because that very well may be where a lot of major cities, particularly in Europe, are headed. So, so I think electrification is here to stay. Uh, another question real quickly, um, how does the cabin heater work in most of the pure EVs? I want to dive into that one. Sounds like you had it pretty well before we started talking. <laughs> it's electric. Ah. It's electric, just like your plug in your wall works. It's electric. No one really knows how it happens, but you plug in, <laughs> you plug in the cord, and things work. It's a mystery. You're almost right. According to uh, a couple of the blogs I read, uh, and one of them was uh, an engineer uh, in, in regarding the, the Chevrolet Bolt and Volt, I think, doing HVA systems. Uh, electric resistance heating, like using a hairdryer, is very efficient when you compare it to everything else in a pure EV car. But out there right now, some electric vehicles are using heat pumps. Some are using um, pure electric um, resistance wiring. Uh, the Bolt does that. Uh, the Leaf, I believe, uses a heat pump. Uh, Tesla uses uh, combinations of systems, but they also scavenge heat off of the electronics and electric motors to augment their cabin heat. So the answer to that question, Dave, is there's a variety of different methods out there. And that's why having a, a, a high mileage battery um, over 200 miles per charges uh, like the uh, Bolt and maybe the new Tesla 3 is important. So you can do that. How does the government recoup the cost of maintaining the roads if vehicles don't pay a gas tax? Joe has also done research on that, and he says California has become the first state to tax zero-emission vehicle owners with a $100 annual fee to help pay for road repairs. The bill passed uh, in April, but doesn't go into effect till 2020. Looking down the pike, there is every legislator in the country is looking at some kind of a use tax because mileage on vehicles is going up or you have pure electric vehicles and the use of gas and, and thus gas taxes is going down. Yeah, that's in the works all across the country because yeah, their money is going down. You know, they've got to pay for the infrastructure somehow. Uh, any rant and raves? Dave, I hope that uh, helps out on uh, your questions. Any rant and raves? Anything sticking in your uh Oh, you got one. I got one. Zach's got one. Man, the USB plug-in on the last couple of Volkswagens that we've had, the uh, the Passat and now the GTI, it's directly underneath um, the infotainment system. Can you guys fit your hands in there to plug in your USB cords? Because I can't. That's a good observation, actually. I ran into yeah, it's been bugging the heck out of like me. That. There's no... Why... Why... Why give me the option for all these... Okay. I sound like I'm complaining, and I am. 
You That's should, what this you section's should, right, all You about. should give us those USB uh, ports, but why hide them? We know they're going to be there. This is—I'm from a generation where they're I, not you know, that ugly, right? Exactly. They look—they look fine. Just make it easy for me to just plug it in quickly instead of reaching my hand in there. I'm not sure if or they— Or into the center console and it's down and under. I'm not sure if they assume that most people are just going to leave their cords in there because, quite honestly, I have a ton of charging cables everywhere, and I like to have them at various places at work, home, in my car. So maybe that's what most people are doing, but for, for us— it's, it is. It seems like a lot more often they're trying to find these clever places to put them, yeah. and it's not They're not ugly. Accessible. I mean, you could put four right in front of my face, and I would be fine with it. I mean— It's a lot better, a lot less—a uh, lot more attractive than having a big old cigarette lighter yeah. staring no, at Yeah, no, it really is. And, you know, and what Greg was saying, you know, teenagers probably aren't going to have more than one charger cable than what they got with the phone, you know, in general. And, I mean, you know, just— not a lot of people have more than one charger. Or so you a, lose lot of, them. a lot of times, yeah, they're going to be pulling it in and out. So that's definitely something that they need to keep in mind, I think. I remember when Volkswagen was among the first to have uh, an iPod connector, and that was in the, they were putting it in the glove box. Yeah, yeah. So they basically had to have the glove box open. At least they had one. Okay, that wraps up. Our Motor Week podcast number 161. Uh, special thanks to everybody around the table. Garrick Sykin, Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Zach Muskell. And I um, want to say special thanks in the next room to David Wainwright, our audio engineer who makes us sound terrific every time. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Uh, and Greg and uh, Joe, I guess you both had a little bit of a producing job this week. Thank you guys More very so much. More so Joe than me. More so Joe. Joe's our, our, our Facebook Live guy, so I guess we didn't get a, a whole lot of uh, interest today from that. You know, we had some very vocal people. But nothing, nothing that we actually could our, could use. Our could good say, friend Kenneth, who's always constantly asking to drive the cars that we get in, he uh, we just had that golf tournament the other day, yeah. and I uh, told him he could have come drive with us. Yeah, he could. But, uh, <laughs> just inside, we get to say that anyway. Well, Kenneth, thanks very much for taking that time out of your day. So our what, what are we up to? One now. Thanks, everybody, for taking uh, time out of your schedule to uh, listen to our podcast and uh, catch Motor Week on public television stations all around the country and also tune in to us on the cable channel Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us at Motor Week, thanks for being a part of our show. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech.